0: Hi, I'm Kim Kuklitz, and I'm the founder of Stance. And I'm Sarah Zanbergen. I'm the ambassador for Stance, and this is the Take Back, Talk Back podcast. We're here to open real conversations about women, finance, and confidence. At Stance, we want women to confidently take ownership of their finances through open and informative conversations
1: like this. We talk a lot about women at Stance. At its core, Stance is a woman-led initiative for women. But it was never meant to be a no boys allowed club. Equality doesn't mean that we diminish one gender in favor of another. But our research showed us that there was an opportunity to close a confidence gap and help empower women to take ownership of their financial affairs. So we started there. What about you, Sarah? I completely agree. And I think that there's a huge opportunity to empower
0: all genders here. And before we get too far into that, I'm going to talk a little bit about our guest today. I was lucky enough to receive an advanced copy of today's guest's book as I was just stepping on a flight to Calgary. Um, Remember those flights? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I do. I settled in for my flight. I started reading and I devoured the book during that flight. I laughed. I cried. I very nearly stood up in my seat and cheered. Uh, My seatmates got a show. Kim, would you like to do the honors and introduce today's special
1: guest? For sure, but I must have not been on the plane ride with you that time. Oh, you missed that one. I missed that one. Okay, well, you know what? I I missed something big. So I'm thrilled to introduce our guest today, Mike Cameron. I know Mike personally from the mortgage industry, and he is a passionate family man, entrepreneur, speaker, and writer. He is a big proponent of lifelong learning and always believes that there is something to be taken away from every experience. He enjoys writing, sharing ideas, and inspiring others to find the best in themselves. Welcome, Mike.
2: Hey, Kim. Thanks for having me, Sarah. So good to see you guys. It's been a
1: while. So, as I said, I know you from the mortgage industry. Did something happen for you to have taken a different path, or is it something that you always contemplated doing?
2: You know, I talk about... The importance of looking for the lessons in in all of our experiences, because I do deeply believe that that there are lessons available if we can stay open to them. You know, for me, back you know way back when I was eighteen years old, I, I started my illustrious career bagging steer maneuver. and uh, you know it was it was it wasn't exactly what I would call a career path. But- Uh, But eventually, you know, I was there for eight years. I worked my way out of the warehouse, eventually started selling garden supplies. It was a garden supply wholesale company. And what I realized at that time was that nobody buys a bag of steer manure because they want to own a bag of shit. Um, We buy steer manure because we ultimately want that feeling that we're going to get when we plant that beautiful rose bush, grow that vegetable garden. So you know, again, as my career progressed, I ended up moving into into the finance business, as as you said. But I realized that you know my customers bought on emotion, justified by logic, and and so I started doing a little bit more research on that. And you know, as I became a business owner, founded my business, I realized that my staff, my team, they also not only did they buy based on emotion, but we make decisions as human beings. We make decisions based on emotion. And I really honed in on that to sort of um, enhance my skills, my business skills, and really look for how do I, you know, A, create that emotional connection with my customer, B, create something that my team could get emotional about, could get passionate about, could get excited about. And so I really started taking those lessons. And, you know, eventually as, as I succeeded in the industry, you know, I would get asked to come speak and, you know, how how do you do what you do? So that kind of became my platform. And little did I know how much impact that would come to have on me. In 2015, my girlfriend was murdered by an ex-boyfriend who subsequently took his own life. So here, here was a man that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. And so, you know, I had a, I had a lot of people sort of, you know, they, they know I'm a guy that likes to do things and champion causes. So I had a lot of people that wanted me to go after the justice system, which surely failed her. You know, she, she had done all the right things, filed the right paperwork, had the right restraining orders, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when I looked at it, that was akin to slapping a band-aid on a ruptured jugular and i thought how do we actually prevent men from getting to this point in the first place and then you know circle back to we make decisions based on emotion and as guys we tend to not really explore our emotional side our feelings that's you know we're actively discouraged from that and if you believe the premise that we make decisions based on emotion, well, if we don't understand the underlying emotions that drive those decisions we make, we have zero opportunity of living a fully awakened and, and purposeful life. So, so that that's kind of a long answer to to your short question. Um, you, you know, and, and I and I carried on with with the mortgage brokerage for another almost five years after that, but just my my heart wasn't there and, and the passion wasn't there. And as I started, you know, I published my book in, in November of 2019. And as I started sharing more of this message, um, it became clear that this was in fact my path.
1: Wow. You know what? I first of all want to say thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, it's got to be hard. Um, it doesn't matter how long ago it was. But I take from what you've just said is that, you know what, Mike, you you had a different calling, right? So, And you're following that path and you're bringing awareness to this whole issue, which a lot of times it's, again, there's so many taboo topics that we're not supposed to be talking about
0: and I feel like that is the perfect segue to the next question we wanted to ask you. So um, the title of your book is Becoming a Better Man. Something's got to change. Maybe it's you. Let's talk about that starting point. If there were one thing that you would say men really need to do, that that first step to be better in today's society, what what would you think that would be?
2: Slow down, man. Slow down. I think that's probably the number one. So, so first off, to be clear, the, the book Becoming a Better Man When Something's Got to Change, Maybe It's You, is not so much prescriptive. It's, it's my story of my journey attempting to become a better man. And, and I talk about this a lot. You know, three things I know to be true. Masculinity in and of itself isn't toxic. There's a ton of good men out there. And number three, I can always be a better man. Um, so, you know, from uh, how do we go about doing that? It really comes back to that self-reflective piece. And I think the starting point with that is learning to slow down, to practice that pause, to take a moment and sit with yourself and and be able to really reflect. And and I think that's a really scary thing for for a lot of us. And it's not easy to do, right? It's 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 a simple concept, but it's not easy.
0: It's not. And I think that Kim and I talk about this all the time that I feel like this year, everything that's that's happened with the pandemic, isolation, it's really the great equalizer in a way that it's taught us all to kind of take that reflection, be self-reflective, sit with our own thoughts. And I mean, I live by myself. So dang, I've been sitting with my thoughts a lot this year. And I think that that's kind of a a really unfortunate but fortunate silver lining of, of 2020.
2: Yeah. Well, again, I think it can be fortunate, but that's a choice and we need to be intentional with that.
0: Definitely. And and
2: again, that's not always easy to do because, you know, the flip side of that is the alternative is I don't want to be alone with my thoughts. So I grab a bottle. I don't want to be alone with my thoughts. So, you know, I name some other self-destructive Behavior, because that's the the alternative. So, so I think you're right. I mean, it's absolutely an opportunity, but we have to be intentional about grabbing that opportunity.
1: And I can see that that would not be easy. I mean, it's almost like when you tell somebody Mike to to meditate, like it all sounds good, but once you get on the floor and cross your legs, and then you're quiet and you're like, okay, like what's next, right? You know, and how do I do this and you know what? It's incredibly difficult to actually sit and meditate. So, anyone that tells you that it's easy, it's not, right? It takes practice.
2: Well, I just published, I'm working on a course called Slow the F Down Man. And uh, it's exactly that. And meditation doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't even have to be meditation. So, call it, if you don't want to call it meditation, don't call it meditation. Let's call it slow the, slow the F down, man. If, if that sounds more manly to you, and I, you know, again, I, I, I do it in the context of, of men, but I understand it, it can be challenging for anyone, but it's really just even about taking that, that 30 second pause and taking a breath.
1: So let's talk about you being a badass. What does that really mean? You being a badass and how, how can that sort of apply to money? Let's shift it over to money here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I suppose we should, since this is a money podcast, we should probably have a conversation (laughs) about money.
1: Well, it's about confidence. It's not just money, but it's confidence and and money. But yeah, you're right.
2: (laughs) So where the badass thing came from for me and probably the first time Sarah saw me speak was shortly after Colleen was killed. Uh, I did a, a presentation called Badass Brokering. And, and that came out of, you know, Colleen used to always tease me about how badass I was as a business owner, a rock climber, a yogi, an Ironman. And, you know, as a guy that was always more geek than jock, more nerd than cool kid, that would always, you know, secretly make my heart swell with pride. and And, you know, it just made me feel so good to be, Called that, um, because as guys, I think you know we want to think of ourselves as badass. But the trouble becomes: what does it really mean to be a badass? So the short answer to to your question: when I think of what it means to be a badass, is somebody that can actually soar, that can actually slow down, open up, accept what's there, and really reconnect with their inner self, reconnect with their purpose. So you know, somebody that can either, either physically or metaphorically stand in front of that mirror, strip naked and have the courage to actually look in the mirror and reflect on what is actually there. Who am I really, you know, that last word can be incredibly powerful. And I use that a lot, Sarah, how are you doing? Really?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for asking Mike. How do we apply that to money? So give us an example.
2: Well, money's a great one. And, and, you know, I'm certainly not a financial expert, but when we talk about money, I always think of our relationship with money and that emotional connection. Because, I mean, let's face it, money is a very emotional thing. And it's one of the things that I've been able to reflect on personally because I have, and I hate to admit this, and I don't admit this often, but I have a terrible, or I have had a terrible relationship with money. I've recognized in the last, I don't know, maybe even, even only as, as recently as the last three to five years that my emotional relationship with money has not been great. And, and I, I still unpack that a little bit, and I'm not entirely sure what that is, but yeah, there's definitely some kind of fear sitting there, and so you know when we talk about how do you be a badass with your money, I really do think it's about having that courage to sit down and spend some time. You know, for me, I, I started a practice I called Money Monday, and and I would sit down and just look at my bank accounts, look at where my money is going, look at what's coming in, look at what's not, and actually try and actively make some decisions around that, rather than just burying my head in the sand and and keeping moving forward. Just having the courage to to look at your and assess your real picture is is what I would say it means to be a badass in the context of, of dealing with your finances and your money.
0: So Mike spoke about his very first job working in steer manure. We often downplay these first jobs I think maybe because they're not super glamorous and I think that's bs pun intended um quite honestly because I think that first jobs teach us so
1: much so Kim what did your very first job teach you well before I answer that I love the fact that you said working in steer manure is not super glamorous. I don't think it's glamorous at all, to be honest with you, Sarah. But anyway, um, I just can picture it. So, I mean, my first job, what it really taught me was independence. Once you're out in the real world, like interacting with people you don't know, you don't necessarily have your parents to fall back on. you learn to vocalize and stand up for yourself. You know, it's your first taste of making your own money and feeling good about being rewarded for something you worked for. So those formative years taught me a lot about independence that I'll never forget. Oh, same here.
0: Being paid. And I don't know if you ever got paid in those little envelopes that were tiny that just fit cash. That's the way I got my very first pay. (laughs) but yeah the independence of being able to go out and buy that cd i wanted without my parents having to buy it for me um and it was our lady piece by the way that was that was the goal
1: and <laughs> love that group. you're
0: right they're so good these are formative years it's a really important time because it lays the groundwork for how you're going to feel about money for the rest of your life and that brings me to another point we touched on with mike i think we figured out what being a badass with your money means It means having an emotional relationship with money and having the courage to sit down and actually spend some time with it, treating your money as a friend. And we don't mean diving into a pool of coins like Scrooge McDuck, although that would be cool, but finding some time every week or whatever that looks like to examine and assess your financial picture. What do you think about that?
1: Well, what do I think? All I can tell you is that I look at my account every day. Maybe I'm a little weird for doing that, but um, it's just me. And uh, it's not because I think it's going to change that drastically because it doesn't or because I'm expecting a huge windfall because I've never heard or received a huge windfall, but it's discipline. I've developed the discipline to make sure that I have money in my account and do what I need to do and want to do. I'm so on top of it, even with going over my visa, I check my visa every day. I know it seems a little weird and maybe I'm a little goofy with that, but a lot of people don't go through line items. They just look at the total and pay it. And can I tell you how many errors I have found? I treat money as if it's my friend. I like that you said you developed
0: the discipline. I think this is really important to note. This kind of thing doesn't
1: happen overnight. Absolutely. I've been in situations before where someone in my position might think I have my spouse to fall back on, but I don't operate that way. I rely on no one but myself, and that's being in control and confident and independent. My mother always taught me, do not rely on a man. You need to be able to rely and support yourself, especially if you ever find yourself in a vulnerable situation. And that always stuck with me. And it stuck with me because it scared the bejesus out of me, to be honest. Well, being in
0: control and confident and independent, to me, that's freaking badass. Both you uh, and Kim have heard me speak on this uh, in the mortgage industry. And I I talk about this stat, is that 73% of women are unhappy with the financial services industry um so I was really really lucky in 2019 to to talk to a bunch of groups of mortgage brokers um again back when we were allowed to be in rooms together <sighs> sad um and we t- I talked about communicating emotionally with their clients partly because I find that the financial industry there's a gap there they're not communicating with women effectively so you Mike you talk openly about how you've studied emotions and the impact the emotional impact on decisions we make and You know, Kim and I did an event last year where we were talking about money and emotions and the top three emotions that came out about money were guilt, shame and fear. And that that struck me. So I guess my question for you is, where do you think this gap is in the financial industry and how can people of all genders work to close it?
2: Yeah you, you know it, it it's super interesting. I I love that as well. Um and I and I love that you've you've sort of identified those emotions that come up. And what what struck me as as you said that, I used to joke all the time when I would do presentations with realtors and I'd talk the finance stuff. I would make a joke that you know what, I could never be a realtor because that's so subjective. It's all, you know, lovey-dovey feely and and that emotional connection with the house, for me, it was all facts and figures. This is why I went into mortgages because it's black and white. Math is black and white. And I love that. So I think there's definitely, certainly for me, there was a big part of that. I liked that about the mortgage business because it was black and white, but it's not. I mean, we know it's not. Um, but in my head, that's what I liked a- about the mortgage process. It's like, you know what? Plug in the numbers, either you qualify or you don't. Here's the payments. Either you make them or you don't. Uh it's black and white. But as you say, when it comes to your money, it's not really black and white. So I think the reason the gap is there is for that kind of sentiment. So again, and I think it's interesting, you know, when you talk about the the sort of gender gap there, I think I think. A lot of that, again, this is just off the cuff and and my opinion that men probably feel the same way. They just would never admit it.
1: Our research told us that too,
2: ah, uh, yeah, okay. So <laughs> so i believe I believe that for sure. So, yeah, when it comes to you know, how do we close that gap as a as an industry, as as mortgage professionals, it is about making that emotional connection. and and again, that that first presentation, I think you came and saw me do was badass brokering. And I talked about ask questions, tell stories, be authentic. And that's, in my opinion, the formula to do that. So we ask the questions to find out where people are in their journey. We tell stories to make that emotional connection because that's how we make an emotional connection. Facts and figures don't make an emotional connection. Statistics don't make an emotional connection. This is why I love what you guys are doing here is sharing stories. Like, it's it's all about sharing stories because that does make that emotional connection, that emotional impact. And then being authentic, again, so me being able to say to a customer that, you know, I still struggle with this a little bit and here, here's where I struggle and this is what I've learned. And, you know, again, just being true to who I am, being real, sharing stories of others. And then there's that, you know, there's that power in, you're not alone.
0: One billion percent, and don't you know? I know you're a math guy. I, I know that makes no sense, but um, just just let me have that one. To 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 both of your points that you just made, nobody wants to stand up, put their hand up, and say, "I don't understand." X, Y, Z. I don't understand where my investments are. I don't understand how compound interest works. No one wants to do that. But um, hopefully, and this is what we want to accomplish with Stance and having these conversations. And I think that this is part of what you want to do too, Mike, is that, hey, nobody knows everything. You you don't have it all right away. And it's okay. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be vulnerable. And that that I think is so, so important.
2: Again, especially for guys, because we are loath to admit that we don't know something. I mean, hell, we won't stop and ask for directions.
1: Oh, that's for sure. So just sort of wrapping up, and, and I've got one last uh, doozy for you. So I can see you're sitting down. So that's good, Mike. But on your website, um, you recently talked about overnight success and why that's BS. I mm-hmm. feel like maybe that applies to money. Um, but it can seem that many of us are still reaching for that golden ring, financial success. And if we don't have as much as this person or that person, we haven't made it. And social media makes us constantly compare ourselves to others and, um, you know, what we don't have makes us feel like mm, maybe we haven't made it. Uh, but let's go back to the BS part. I want to hang on that. Love it. Right. What do you mean by that? What do you mean?
2: As you said, I mean, all we see is the success part. We never see the struggle part. So nobody posts every day that, you know, I put $5 away today. I skipped my latte today. I mean, maybe some are starting to now. But, you know, typically you don't see that struggle up to the success. And all of a sudden it's like, holy crap, how does Sarah have a million dollars in her bank account all of a sudden? She stole it. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and and we know that it's, <laughs> we know that, yeah, unless you stole it, it's not all of a sudden. It takes time, effort, and planning to do that. And it frustrates me to no end because, you know, I I, I hear that a lot, you know, oh, so-and-so is just lucky or so-and-so did this. Yeah, you know what? I kind of feel like so-and-so probably worked their ass off for a very long time to all of a sudden, so maybe you just heard about them yesterday. That doesn't mean they started working yesterday. They've been working at this for a very long time. And when it comes to our money, you know, that's especially true. And there's so many things, again, if I could go back 20 years th- that I would do differently that, you know, and again, I, I'm in a pretty good spot, but I, I think back at like, oh my goodness, like how much better of a spot could I have been in? if I had done X, Y, and Z, And so being intentional, and one of the things I, I do with my, my coaching clients, I talk about creating a life by design rather than by default. And how do we actually be intentional about the things that we want? And this comes back to the having the courage to actually look at your bank account once a week and, and see, is it going down, is it going up? Are there reasons it's going down that, they sh- that shouldn't exist? And how can we get intentional with our spending? How do we get intentional with our savings? How do we get intentional about the behaviors that we take? And again, coming back to that understanding that it's the emotion that drives those behaviors. And so often we want to change the behavior. So we'll try and brute force it, right? We'll just, I'm, I'm tough. I'm going to will it through this. I'm going to do all these things. But if we don't under understand stand or we don't address the underlying emotion that's driving those behaviors, that pattern of behavior is going to come back without question. So if we're if we're making decisions based on fear, you know, again, maybe we can brute force around our fear. And and again, this is why I really dislike the word fearless, because I don't think there is such a thing. So don't strive to be fearless, strive to be courageous when it comes to your money. Because You know, fearless can often be reckless. Courageous means you can actually look at things with an open mind and open heart and move forward.
0: Now, I have to ask, when you were dealing in manure, did you ever have a crappy month?
2: (laughs) Ah,
0: (laughs) I had to, I had to. Well, Mike, I, on behalf of Kim and myself, I wanna say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being here, being uh, a guest on the Take Back, Talk Back podcast. And um, for our listeners out there, we would love to uh, have you tell them where can they find you?
2: Mm, best bet, my home on the web is mikecameron.ca. You can order the book there. I do a, I've do been doing a, a live broadcast every morning at 8.30, um, just sharing thoughts since COVID started and I can't travel and speak. So I thought, well, how do we stay relevant? So, uh, So I do a show called Men Up with Mike.
1: Mike, thank you for your time. Um, thanks for being real, because this is what the show's all about. Um, and I think our audience—you know—there's a lot of takeaways for for our audience here, so uh, they know how to get in contact with you. But uh, you know what? Good luck with uh, with your future endeavors, and we're going to be following you closely anyway. So, um, with that, I believe it's a wrap. Sarah and I love saying that it's a wrap. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much,
0: Kim. I have to admit, when I first started hearing people talk about emotional connections with money, I thought it sounded a little woo, but the more I think about it, the truer it is. Like Mike said in this interview, until I make it about you, it doesn't matter.
1: Yes, and that's one of the reasons I think the storytelling aspect of Stance is so important, Sarah. I mean, we've created a safe space where it's okay to say I messed up or this is my experience in the hopes that it will resonate with someone and encourage them to learn more or share their own stories. Definitely, and it's been a really big
0: eye-opener for me and has taught me a ton along the last few years. Um, I wanna touch, we talked about mortgages a little bit in the interview and I wanna talk about that. The financial industry has created a mortgage dialogue that's really focused on rates. So as someone who has been in the mortgage industry for your entire career, you know firsthand the rate is not the only important aspect of a mortgage. Do you think we have to change this narrative to make homeowners really understand that a low rate is just one aspect?
1: Absolutely. And I think in the mortgage industry, we're trying to do that, but it takes time. We're talking about a complete mindset change here, Sarah. There's so much more to your mortgage than just the rate. Yeah, you may get a really low rate, but your payout penalty might be punitive, when you go to discharge that mortgage or you got a low rate, but you aren't getting good service from your lender. This is why mortgage brokers are really important in this process. Having someone there on your side who can explain the full process and advocate for you is ideal. I couldn't agree more with that. I've always been a
0: fan of what mortgage brokers do. I really enjoyed our chat with Mike about overnight success and comparing yourself to others. This is something I do constantly, but I'm actively trying to stop. It can be really difficult. Um, There's a quote I've seen floating around on the internet that says uh, something like, don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. And I really like that. So I've known you now for five years, and I've always known you as an executive. So I'm curious, what about 25-year-old Kim? Did 25-year-old Kim compare herself to others?
1: (laughs) 25 years. That's a long time. You know what? I I didn't. Um, In the beginning, I didn't compare myself because I was really proud of what I accomplished on my own. I left the nest. I was out in the working world and doing a job I was getting paid for. So to me, that was good enough. I wasn't competing with anyone else, I was competing with myself.
0: Oh, I love that, competing with yourself. To me, that's so much healthier than competing with other
1: people. Well, if you ask me now, the answer is similar. Listen, I have friends who make over a million dollars a year. I know people who own yachts. That's great for them. Don't get me wrong, but that's not me. And that's not what I want. And yet I'm still able to say that there's nothing in this world that I want that I can't buy on my own. The reason I say this is I know what's important to me. You know, I, I know my priorities. My priority isn't wealth. It's being a good person and spending time with my family and helping people and traveling. I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but, but it's the truth. I don't need to be a billionaire to do that. Uh, and it's about priorities and choices. What makes you happy? You know, having the financial stability to know I can help someone. That makes me happy. That's wonderful, and no, it's not
0: cheesy at all. I think we we should you know think about that more often, and I think that this is a really important point. You really need to focus on yourself first, and be a little selfish in this way, right? Make sure you have your money right, and then if someone else is in need, you can help. Um, I say this a lot of times in the context of mental health, but I think it applies here too. There's a reason they tell you on the plane to put your own oxygen mask on first before helping someone else. Yep. Yeah, like you can't pour from an empty cup, Sarah. Exactly. My favorite part of this interview, well, there are a lot, I love this interview, but something I keep coming back to is our conversations around being a badass. I think there's a huge opportunity here to really reframe what being a badass means, like Mike has talked about. To think about learning about your financial situation as being an act of courage. Now, that may sound silly to some people out there who are what we might call our financial gurus, But to those of us who aren't there yet, we might do what Mike was talking about and avoid the situation. I did this. I avoided learning about finances for years. What
1: do you think about reframing learning as an act of courage? Listen, just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean you don't do it. If you're worried because you think you won't understand or you aren't good enough, you don't make enough, that's not an excuse. You can't live in this world without money. You need money.
0: I can speak from experience here. Avoiding the situation does not make it go
1: away. And in fact, it might make it worse. Exactly. If there's one takeaway here, it would be to do what you can so you don't end up in a vulnerable situation. You got to safeguard against that. It's better to start now a bit unsure than to wait to be rescued. (laughs) Nobody is coming to your rescue, to be honest. So... You could be waiting a long time. And instead of waiting, what's more badass than coming to your own rescue? Absolutely. Love it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Take Back, Talk Back podcast. The podcast where we open real conversations about women, finance, and confidence. At Stance, we want women to confidently take ownership of their finances through open and informative conversations, just like this one. You know what we don't talk about enough? The sneaky ways we lose money. Everyone is always so quick to blame coffee, and I have to say I'm sick of coffee getting such a bad reputation. I love coffee. I live on coffee. Please don't come for my coffee. There's something worse. Account fees. So many of us pay up to 20 bucks a month just to have our money in the bank. I have a word that could describe this, but I work for a bank, so maybe I'll just say it's poppycock. There is an alternative. EQ Bank doesn't charge monthly fees, transaction fees, interact e-transfer fees. There's no minimum balance, and you earn a high interest rate on every dollar. Skip the bank fees and have your coffee. The Take Back Talk Back podcast is brought to you by EQ Bank, Money Well Banked. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect those of Equitable Bank. Any information provided is for information purposes only, and Equitable Bank makes no representations as to the validity, accuracy, or completeness or suitability of any content. You should seek the advice of a qualified professional or undertake your own research before making financial decisions. This podcast is produced by the phenomenal team at Quill. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify.